This episode is presented by New York Mutual Trading. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating. It's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne. It's an old Jamaican drink from way back, and we just decided to bring it back into existence. It's a drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. It's, uh, what day is today? It's Thursday, February 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Main Course OG. I am in studio this morning with uh, Patrick Martins. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Patrick and I have been traveling together, basically connected to the hip for the last 24 hours. So it's it's lovely to see you again. Visited Hobes Ham. We woke up at 2 a.m. to make it to Raleigh Durham in time to make this show and our tasting at the office after this. Thank you to everyone at LaGuardia and Delta for getting us here on time. So I am uh, Emily Pearson. Mike and Brandon are out this week, uh, but we have some great guests for the Weekly Grill. We have Nick Tamburo and Emma Conroy of Momofuku Nishi here in New York. Good morning, guys. Good morning. And then we have Bob Klein of Oliveto Restaurant and Community Grains in Oakland, California. Yeah, on California time. Oh, yeah. yes, for sure. We yeah. were talking about some some sleep Steep, issues. Sleep issues, yeah. All With right, everybody, well, actually. Yeah. Everyone's talking about sleep issues. Yeah. 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 Us, too. Yeah, well, I Everyone think- but Nick. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually just always miserable, so it's just, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> same old thing. Always miserable. <laughs> Chef, what's with that? All right. Well, so we're going to jump right into the weekly based. And in this segment, everyone jumps in, offers your thoughts off the cuff. You know, whether you've had coffee or not, or you've slept or not, we'll, we'll get right to it. So... We have some chefs, restaurateurs, sommeliers in the room, and just people who like to eat. People uh, who like to comment on things they know very little about. Yeah. So if you guys only get one shot at a dish, do you innovate or do a classic? This is, is like a world competition where the entire world, like 80 million people, World Cup type watcher, viewership wow. is watching you with your one dish. Also, that dish will get passed out to all those viewers by local chefs that are trying to duplicate it. So you're getting one dish to the We're world. We're clearly dreaming up this an event. This is like taking on a whole other thing. Yeah, I didn't expect this. Because we talk a lot about like we do a lot of would you rathers and they're not us- there aren't usually that many parameters around that. <laughs> okay, well, so no, there's would, no parameters. Would you, would you You're rather just innovate to make or one classic? Dish. Uh, we were talking about this. Always not, innovate. Innovate, yeah. yeah. Always innovate. Because if you make a classic, you need to make the best possible version and people have certain expectations. But if you innovate, then it's its own thing, and it's hard to... So there's no barometer. Yeah. There's no real yeah. scale yeah. there on which to measure. Yeah. So how would you answer, Bob? Oliveto has been a, an institution, a Mount Rushmore-type restaurant in Northern California for, what, 30 years? 32 years. So would wow. you answer the same no, I, way? I, I, I kind of... Uh, 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 the, the Mount Rushmore reference is, is regrettable, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we live and breathe. So uh, at one point I got really into wines, Italian wines, and I was really a big fan of traditional wines. And there's a guy named Aldo Vaco who's the head of Prototore de Barresco, which is a great yeah. hardline Barresco. And, um, and it was a time when everybody was in that area was, you know, the, the sons of great winemakers were going off to school and coming back with truckloads of barrique and ruining wine. Mm-hmm. And so I asked Aldo, and Aldo just sort of spun out this answer, which was that um, you can innovate, you can make great wine that's new and fresh, but you need to be in full command of how you make wine. Uh You need to know where you are, and you need humility. I love the humility part. I Mm -hmm. mean, I think that's Mm -hmm. the... That's the um, and, and and the goal is 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 great food and yeah. you know 
Um, well, I wanted to say that I, the this this is a guy who knows nothing about it. I want to quote. Uh, as I usually do, Pope Benedict the Ninth. He wanted to commission some painting for St. Peter's, and so I believe he, Michelangelo and another artist were competing for who would get to do this uh, big painting or gate or whatever, and one guy came with all this uh, big panels and all this marble that he had worked on, and Michelangelo came with nothing, and then right in front of everybody, he drew a circle that was so perfect that uh, he won the commission. But it was simple. Um, Hold on, Ems, I'll take care of it. Okay. You no see, I'm getting up. Um, so, yeah, there's a little noise. Sometimes Roberta's is a little loud. Um, so, I don't know, but I like what you said. You always have to innovate because there is no established canon on what a great version of something would be. Isn't it true that if you can draw a perfect circle, that you're like insane? <laughs> That's a thing, right? Am I making wow, that now I need a pen. That now I'm like, going to try. How do I know that I'm insane or not? Yeah, I don't know. Like insane brilliance? No, like, like I, I don't know. Uh, who maybe I haven't heard that. You have, never you heard have, that. You have a pen? No, and I went. We we. Oh, I didn't finish art school, and you did. So. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I've heard that. So, I got close. I yeah. tried. Just now, I tried to draw a perfect circle. But did uh, you have to innovate? Uh, did you have to cook for David, and uh, did you have to pour wines for for David or for the managers at the time to get your positions? Or? No. 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 They just hired you based off your resume and reputation? Actually, Richard Hargrave, who's at Major Domo, was the GM of Nishi at the time, and he hired me. Right. <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was my, I worked at Cork Buzz previously, but, like, I have, like, some of a background in wine, but it's not. They hired me because I... They needed somebody. somebody. <laughs> we love Major Domo. Oh my God, that was so good. It was in a part of town, getting there yeah. and then parking, walking there, and then the space it was really cool. We haven't been yet. We haven't been yet, but yeah. everyone says it's like a destination. It's oh, kind of. It's definitely totally. a destination. And I don't it's really. Like you don't stumble upon it. You, yeah. You, we passed it in the car even. We had to make a U turn so and come cool. back around. I mean, it's very much this uh, a little bit more of kind of an industrial neighborhood like Bushwick yeah. here where something is being created and mm -hmm. you're bringing people to a scene. I mean, there was a little bar tucked into the corner right nearby and I think David's trying to open something else in this mm -hmm. same little complex. But mm -hmm. that's what's pretty cool about LA right now and even Miami a little. We were talking last week is you travel LA is respecting that you travel for your food you might go to a sort of abandoned corner for a great restaurant but you mm -hmm. do it because you're going for an experience and you're going for innovation you know and you're going for something that's that's pretty cool yeah. so then this is in the same theme all written uh, last night in the car what about commodity versus artisan food products when does a commodity win out as the better or preferred choice for taste price convenience whatever whatever is important to you guys but we were saying mayonnaise. Or uh, Heinz ketchup, I thought. That was mine. That was mine. Yeah. Like Sir Kensington's. I'm sorry. I it's don't just know if not... I've had it, actually, honestly, but like I have no interest in trying it. It's not smooth. It's granular. You know, it, it, it breaks up over your burger. You and know? it's also mm -hmm. like, I, it's more jammy. It's more like tomato jammy. I feel I like it's know. not going to have that like sharp acidity that you want from Heinz. Heinz is just classic yeah i think i heard marion cunningham was james beard's former assistant and alice waters have an arg uh, a friendly argument about should you make your own mayo with eggs and everything or yeah. is uh hellman's just do it so much better than we anyone. actually I actually yeah we were talking uh, we recently started using duke's mayonnaise which okay. i think is like have you had duke's sure yeah that's like a big argument right hellman's or duke's i think it's like yeah it's amazing i mean mm -hmm. i'm a i'm traditionally a hellman's person like it was actually an interview question I used to ask people, and if you answered incorrectly... What was the question? <laughs> well, it wasn't Dukes or Hellman's. It was Miracle Whip or Hellman's, and that oh. obvious oh, answer yeah. is It's not really bringing in, like, a regional difference, too. You're, so you're basically saying, uh, you're out. You're not Northeast. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah is that? <laughs> I am from New England. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coca-Cola, obviously. I mean, I could drink a Coke and love it to death every day of my life, twice a day, and when I'm 100, I'll be like, oh, my God, this is... So no drink competes with Coke to me. Wow. But, what, Bob, what would you say? Uh, um, When's a commodity? Coke. When you're not... You're from Northern California. You're not allowed <laughs> to say a commodity ever wins. That's right. And <laughs> I, 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 I'm afraid your Mount Rushmore reference could be more true than I'm comfortable with. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm making but I'm, I, I, I'm, like, seriously anti-commodity that there's, you know, in the in the larger picture, there's 
bad food going into a lot of commodity food. And the whole idea of commodity is that there's a product and somebody says, well, it'll sell for three seventy nine on the shelf. And mm -hmm. so I'm putting it on the shelf and the store wants this and I want that percentage of product. And then they go to the factory and then they go to the, finally they go to the farmer or the producer and they say, here's six cents, you know, make make me an egg or make mm -hmm. me a, mm -hmm. and, and so it drives everything to crap. It should be the other direction, right? It, yeah, and, and and I think there should be uh, an intolerance of commodity food. You know, just, you know, not that I'm against, we don't have Hellman's, we have Best Foods, Best Foods, the same thing on the West Coast, and, and it's certainly fine. But, um, you know... Um, so you Chef know, Jonah always makes mayo in-house. Yeah, scratch. we don't we don't have jars of mayo. Okay. Yeah, and um, and well, we don't have, we don't have jars of anything, you know. Emily and I talked about this. Like, should you order off of Amazon all the time, you know, or should you be like, I'm gonna not be that person. I will walk down the block to Court Street. You know, it's an interesting. Patrick question. was upset to learn that I don't, you know, buy single rolls of paper towels at a time from the oh, local guy. The, on the corner. rolls of paper towels, fine. But in general, I think <laughs> we hate Amazon, and and yet many people use them all the time. Yeah, my wife's a cheesemonger she's a big proponent of nope i'm driving to a different neighborhood to buy go to this hardware store i love you know and i'm I, like just I, go to this one i was waiting for someone in a cafe yesterday a chef and uh and there were all these people up with laptops and i was looking at the screens of the laptops and you know they're shopping they're all it's like yeah. you know that's what that's what you do you sit in a cafe and you shop i'm on pretty... a case-by-case -case basis like there's certain experiences that i never want taken from me or like you know uh, whether it's Zabar's on the Upper West Side or Sahadi's here in Brooklyn. Like I love the energy of going and saying I want a quarter pound of you know cashews and I want. Oh, a no, not that one. This one. Don't. Yeah. Call it that. yeah. No, it's just it's it's fun. It's the banter. It's the experience. It's when I first went, I was scared they were going to yell at me because I wasn't deciding yeah. fast enough. You know, it's it's there's a human interaction and like learning, and then they always give you a taste. And I think even for little kids, that's a great experience. I'm the opposite. I get food delivered. Like I'll be sitting into Starbucks and I'll get my coffee delivered to my table, you know, using Seamless or whatever, just so I don't have to interface with anyone. See, I, yeah, I, I don't, like, if, I think I order things online if it, like, weighs a lot. Like, if that I don't want to carry it home. Like a big apple juice if you have a bunch of kids to over. <laughs> I don't, that doesn't usually happen to me. <laughs> but I like a case of wine. Yeah, but I like going to the grocery store. And okay. do, you, do you like also going to wine shops? Do you like selecting Oh, yeah, because then I'm like, bottles? who knows? I thought I was going to get one, but now I'm going to get four. <laughs> well, no, it is. I Actually, I like the idea of getting a deal. It's like my, you know, New York City upbringing. So calling the place, speaking to the Chinese person at the restaurant, I, I, I versus Seamless, where it's just like, wink, 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 you know, and they get a receipt. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we got a guy. On my, I know I want it on my address. And so they like me. Maybe they make a new Also so that there's room something. for error along the way. Well, yeah. You know, maybe is, they go to the wrong apartment. Yeah. There's always <laughs> a, a better chance of being able to argue for a refund. No, that's not why I do it. I yeah, do it because is, it's cool. There was a Chinese place when I lived in Washington Heights that I used to go. And they'd always, I'd go. And so the guy knew me. So he'd give me free stuff. Mm. Yes. He'd be like, oh. And I, you know, I'd already order enough food for three people, and it was just for me. And he would still give me more <laughs> food. It's loyalty. It's yeah, it's great. Customers. I mean, I'm sure you guys at Nishi even have certain people that you, uh, you regulars, whether they sit at the bar, whether they come in, you know, on a certain night of the week. Do you have people who are just like the usual? Yeah. Oh yeah. We actually have a delivery customer that orders on caviar. And every day she orders the same salad with the same like modifications, like four or five days a week. Are you gonna name it after her? You should we do like should. a an, an well, unofficial we, we menu did, item. We did make. We'll give her free stuff. Though, I printed out a card her. and wrote like, "Thank you so much for enjoying the gem salad so much." You know, we'd really love you to come by and actually have lunch. And we're like, let mm -hmm. us know, like when you come and be like, I'm like the salad. Be like, person. hey, I'm. I won't say her name, but she's like, hey, I'm. Yeah, yeah. And. uh yeah, she hasn't come yet. Yeah, it's so <laughs> smart to be to ask for something simple and to differentiate yourself. Right. I yeah. mean, I always argue on this goes uh, ordering clubs, uh, ordering sparkling water at a restaurant makes you a, one of the few tables that has the champagne of water instead of regular <laughs> water. So it does put you in a smaller fraternity or sorority, you know, at, at the restaurant. But you always know it's her. So we, yeah. uh, our restaurant's thirty-two years old. Mm -hmm. We've been in a neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood. It's near Cal and. And we have 
kids who've grown up there. We have, you know, we have adults who were um, uh, who were babies in the restaurant at one point, and the relationships that come out of it are just, you know, like the real gem of the restaurant. It's like, mm -hmm. why do this? And um, those relationships are kind of core. Yeah, no, I mean, there's and a lot on of occasion they get something free. <laughs> Speaking of free and prices. Speaking of that, so yesterday there was an article in the New York Times about um, uh, Two Bros Slice Shop. It's a, a pizza shop here that does a, a deal. You get a, a slice for a dollar or two slices and a soda for five bucks. Anyway, but the whole article was about the evolution. I don't of think you get two sodas or that. Two slices and a soda for so five dollars. At the dollar pizza place? Yes. Yeah. So that means the soda would cost three dollars. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think it's just dollar slice. There's, There's no There's also deal. a sign on the panel. Maybe I've been... This sounds I, familiar. I think it's $3. Uh, $3 soda. All right. Someone's going to check. Okay. Well, I, I, <laughs> I read that article. I went to Uptown, Upside Pizza yesterday afternoon. Based off that article? Based off that article. Wow. No, it's 30, 39th and 8th. Okay. And? and it was a sensational pizza. And it cost five bucks. You know, Falco uh, was an advisor on that. He was quoted in the article a lot. Oh, yeah. So Upside the brother, pizza, never heard so of the, it. It just opened. It's the Brothers of Two Bros Pizza opened a non $1 slice. Now it's, I think, $3 or $5, depending on the yeah, size. Yeah, it's a Sicilian for And, and uh, it was, it's all it was, about no, the little, seven, seven. It's it all about really the little pepperoni cups yeah. from that brand Enzo, we, I think. We were talking about this yesterday. She doesn't I, like the pepperoni. I don't, cups. I don't get it. Oh, it's like so they good. like turn up and then there's like oil. In them. That's why people <laughs> That's like why them. That's why people like them. Yeah, I yeah, don't. me neither. You should no. flip them all. No, I know. <laughs> or are you going to be one of those people that puts the napkin on their pizza? No, see, I don't want to do yeah. that. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. be precious about my pizza. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was plenty of oil coming uh, off of this. It's so it $7 for the pepperoni slice. Do you remember what you paid or you don't remember? I paid 5 bucks for a Sicilian and something else for something flat. I don't know. It was a bargain, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when does it was it really good. Much? I mean, I was thinking about that pizza the, the rest of the day. An eight dollar slice. Well, now I'm jealous is that, that you too made much? it there. Yeah. So what I was saying, what is the the sort of breaking point for a, for a slice, or is well, it you, like when in New York? Well, this, for a pasta. There's this. There's a, you know like in, you'd you'd really pose the question as like on Yelp, like what's the. Well, Yelp, you could you know you could charge fifty cents and somebody would be complaining about the price. Yeah. And um, I mean, this goes back to this whole question about commodity and all that. Is that there has to be sort of like, well, what are you getting? You know, what? But you couldn't charge seventy-eight dollars for a chicken for two in Oakland, or you could. You're saying? Well, there are. I don't know if you, you couldn't do it in Oakland, but there are places who charge one hundred and seventy dollars for it, and their customers who think this must be really good because it costs one hundred and seventy dollars. It's all screwed up. Do you guys have rules where you know as you're sourcing to for your menu that you can't go above a certain amount? Well, I think that's like the interesting thing about Nishi specifically is that on Yelp there have been a lot of people who say that like things are too expensive and like we do use the best product we can to make every dish um and i don't know if it's that like people expect like italian food or asian food to be like inherently inexpensive um but yeah i mean i guess there's a, we definitely think about you know what will a guest perceive this to be for. so do you still have a pasta section a, a delicious pasta section what's the most expensive pasta for instance it's well if you count the lobster i don't know if yeah we, we have a we, we, have we a do this lobster. like whole lobster pasta which is like a little bit more pricey than the other ones i think that's 68 yeah um but other than that we do have a blue crab pasta that's 27 um but yeah like with our dishes we try to keep value in mind and you know some dishes as far as like from a food cost perspective like we charge like we make a little bit of money off some and we make more money off others and it's kind of like a give and take so thing. the whole restaurant has to achieve a certain food cost but each dish yeah you kind of have yeah like i don't know like Rest, a good restaurant is really struggles with pricing and it's yeah. really hard to make money well, and so and so yeah you'll make some money on some dish and then you lose some uh, money on something else and then you put some else on the table for free and that costs a lot of money mm -hmm. and I've always been so told you sort of make the money on the I mean, maybe not when you put a lobster on it but you always make the money sort of back on your simple pastas so that you you know maybe if you lose a little bit more on a main 
Right, sure. Yeah, definitely. Joe I mean, Pistiano said veal. People who are very price conscious order veal because they're getting the most bang for their buck because you can't. It's so so expensive to get it. You can't mark it up, so it's the greatest value on the menu. Yeah. Even it's the greatest deal, even though it's very expensive. Well, I think in New York too is like we're all like going through this like price increase just to like counter the wage increase. And you're going to see things be more expensive. That you're, and I, I don't think that enough people are talking about that so that consumers know. Mm-hmm. Because it's like we're not marking this up a dollar because like we're just trying to make more money. Like mm-hmm. The actual cost of making all of these things is like... Are you no tip? No, you, you people tip. We're tipping, still, yeah. Still tip. Okay. But I mean, it's like, you know, tipped employees make more. And yeah, so, do, sure. so do back of house. And then to be competitive, you have to pay them over what minimum wage is for... Mm-hmm. Your hourly employees. It's yeah. What's so. minimum wage here in New York and in California? I think it just went up. We're fourteen thirty-five. I think. Oh, I thought you were. More, we're fifteen now. Yeah. I well, California was always. I like, think we kinda... just surpassed them. They yeah. were ahead of the game with getting a little higher in the last couple of years, and we just hit the. It's a competition that's oh, yeah. benefiting the workers. It's crazy to think like only. Yeah, I moved to New York City like six years ago, and when I first moved here, I made ten fifty an hour. And now, you know, our cooks make you know, have like 16, a wad of hundred dollar bills in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, when I was a tipped employee, I mean, this isn't Rhode Island, but I made two eighty nine an hour, <laughs> and they make ten dollars an hour now. Two eighty nine. Two eighty nine. Where? In Rhode Island, in Providence. Wow. Plus tips. Plus tips. But there wasn't that rule where you had to make a certain like you didn't have to. I think meet minimum a wage was like five bucks, and the tip credit was whatever like the difference wow. was. There's no tip credit in California. Oh yeah, we still get yeah. a tip credit here, but it's yeah. still. Does that mean you have to pay your employees yeah. more to really keep them? So yeah, waiters are our minimum wage, and then we put in a, a service charge so we could divert some of the tip money to the back of house because they were. Um, they were just sucking. Yeah. So the service charge is automatically tacked onto your yeah. bill. Yeah. Um, do people tip on top? Are they expected? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think in New York that's illegal at the moment. Yeah. But I, think I know in Connecticut it, be, it is. They're trying to. I know some people are trying to change. I think it's it would be good for us to be able to do that. Be helpful. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a, a um, an injustice in the economy within restaurants that you know you just have to fess up to. You know and People who are working really hard and back and not making the same money. Yeah. yeah. I just want to transition to a serious topic. We just received a press release. <laughs> Thank you. Announcing Ronald Cherry's induction into White Castle Cravers Hall of Fame. His slider's passion clearly turned into an addiction somewhere along the way. So our question is, what is your deprave fave crave? Basically, who would you nominate either into the White Castle uh, Cravers Hall of Fame or just uh, is there a tradition that you have that you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame for that's just a little unacceptable with today's lens uh, a depraved fave Nick said crave. he should be in the White Castle oh, how really? often are you meeting White Castle <laughs> not, well, there not, are very few not left not so much anymore when I lived in Bushwick I lived right near the one at Myrtle White Castle oh, and I would go you know twice a week wow yeah. so delicious it's amazing and by the way, now that they have a veggie, the vegan burger, the... What, the, the Impossible, Impossible Burger. burger. Yeah. It, it becomes one of the healthiest places to eat all of a sudden. Yeah, Is I don't know about that. Very healthy, though? I don't know. Those onions, the bun. It's got to be some... The Impossible some. Burger also is made of, like, wheat and soy. So not so healthy. I mean, I don't think you should be eating it, like, every day. So what was it? Was it, Is it your favorite fast food chain? Uh, Taco Bell. That goes to Taco Bell. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. went to a I Taco Bell my with our farmers. Experience. We were overwhelmed. Wow. No, we could. We remembered all these commercials, but we didn't know how to read the menu, and I think we didn't order right. What we basically knew we what? were supposed to get the like cheesy gordita crunch. Oh, it's great. But only I only knew that from the... I mean, I really felt like a city person. It's all about like the textural a... contrast. I hadn't had Taco crunch. Bell, really, until mm-hmm. I started working at Nishi, and... I gotta say, we <laughs> let. We all. The, we what all is like the Taco one takeaway from working at Nishi? I, I now eat Taco Bell. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, Popeyes. We eat a, a lot Popeyes. of times. She says I say Popeyes. <laughs> Popeyes, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there's a Popeyes around the corner. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> there's one of these fried chicken spots around the corner. And so a lot of times when, you know, people come into the restaurant, like friends or like employees, they'll bring us fried chicken as like a thank you and uh 
everyone loves the blackened ranch. No, you love sauce. the blackened. Well, ranch. I got everyone else to love it because that's the royal a blackened everyone. ranch blackened sauce. Ranch. Yeah, it's definitely the best like fast food condiment of all time. It's, really, it's I'm not a ranch what person, but ranch I give it a sauce? I'm not me either. Black, like blackened ranch. Blackened ranch. But so I'll, I wouldn't a, touch a bottle of Hidden Valley with like a ten foot pole. It's disgusting to me. Blackened, but, but what what chain? That's it. Papaya, oh, uh, papayas. <laughs> yeah. You know papayas. now he's gonna call it papayas. Yeah, it's papayas. Yeah. I'm like Max. We're turning on Papaya the Sailor Man right now. <laughs> I want to watch it. Yeah, and exactly. that was a great film. Robin Williams, great. It gets no credit. So the red beans and rice is really great. Too. On that note, I, you know, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a stereotype, but chefs are are kind of known for eating a lot of fast food and late night. Chefs unhealthy. in New York, not in California. Yeah. Well, In and Out. <laughs> are you gonna say In and Out and be like every other? Californian I've ever met. I don't well, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. No, but do chefs go? I there mean, late this night? whole thing is just making me feel incredibly old. What's your stuffy. vice? What's your vice? Um, uh, cured meats, I guess. Cured meats. Yeah. Pred- so, so to me, to me, the thing that is sort of like shockingly unacceptable now, like within the restaurant, we'll we'll we get a lot of very fine meat from Heritage Foods. I have to say, thank you. But we sorry get, about your delivery this week. No, just kidding. <laughs> but we but we get a lot. Most of our meat from local farmers, and we get whole animals. And so, and we'll do these special events, and we'll talk about who the you know who the farmers own and. Mm-hmm. And we have an active uh, website and email list and all that. And so there'll be like a picture of, um, we did buffalo. And there were pictures of buffalo. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have a buffalo dinner and show a picture of a buffalo because they have brown eyes, you know. And mm-hmm. and so... And they're so cute. And they're cute. Everything's cute, you know. And so we've really hit this uh, sensitivity where... Mm-hmm. Oh, they're yes, cute. You eat, we how how can you eat those? You know, and you can't eat a pig because it's oh. cute. We 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 have a little bit. Well, we have a struggle with that. Um, of course, well, we have that that issue on our mail order side. You know, how much do you show the live animals in this happy outdoor pasture raised lifestyle that they're living? Yeah. Truly happy and not in confinement. Yeah, try, But then, how are you also try naming them? them. Well, to we give them a little names. Name <laughs> my my vice is definitely the New York City hot dog, which can come from the Sabaret guy or the pup, Grace Papaya or whatever. And I do feel a little weird, like getting my lunch at the Brooklyn outside the Brooklyn Botanical Garden, like with my son and other parents are just like no they see a me hot from dogs? the kindergarten. Oof. That's yeah. like a New York like tradition. It's though. real biodiversity in that dog. Yeah, if you support <laughs> biodiversity, you'd love the New York City hot dog. No, but I mean, dirty water cool. dogs and they have sauerkraut yeah. and, and onion i would say bagels are probably i should be inducted to the bagel, bagel hall of fame. Fame. so yeah. what blueberry bagel actually i'm allergic to the blueberries good that's bad <laughs> weirdly enough said, yes. <laughs> i can't believe you picked the one thing Pat. like everything bagels. everything yeah wait do you like everything yeah Oh, I never knew what you liked, so I always get you a plain bagel. Everything was a new addition. Yeah, there were like the four core sesame poppy plain and one other. I'll do other. I'll do plain. I'll do Well you got an egg bagel that one time. I thought that was weird. Yeah. It just looked good. I don't even know like what that means. I don't really either. What, you don't know what a bacon egg and cheese no, is? No, an egg no an oh, egg. Oh an, an egg, egg bagel. bagel. Yeah, they're oh, I'm super sorry. yellow and it's soft. The, what is that? Like the I don't know. Sort of there... like a challah bagel? I don't yes. never had one. Yeah, I didn't know. It just looked It's good. a waste. They're kind of yellow. <laughs> it's like getting the calzone. You always end up wishing you got the pizza. Really? That for me, personally. <laughs> I, I just like pizza better. So between the two, I'll me always too. think that the margarita would have been a little bit better. But I love calzones, too. But I'm with you on that. So, you know, from transitioning to vices, fast food, they say there's no real cure for hangovers. Electrolytes help, fluids, salty foods. What's your trade secret? You guys have all been. I uh, don't do that much. No? no wine? Come on, I'm wine just, hangovers. I used to. What do you eat I, when you're feeling low or sick? Is there a food you eat? Or when you haven't slept? I basically you mean a bacon compulsive eating. Burger. Sure, compulsive what, whatever's eating. Whatever's there. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you got? You guys, what do you do when you were like, shit, I can't make it into work? Will you pound? Well, that's it? not. I optional. always make it into work. Yeah, we always we always, always show up, even if it's. But what do you do to help you? Do you make something in Nishi or you let someone else do the work for you? Ice water, honestly. Like water with a lot of ice. Seltzer water. But I drink seltzer water all the time anyway. Yeah. Are you Jewish? No. No, Italian. A lot of people confuse. Yeah, I'm Italian. But a lot of people think I'm Jewish, yeah. 
No, you remind me of some comedian, some some actors and stuff from the past. I got to think by the time the break comes back, I'll uh, I'll remember. You'll have thought of it. There's one particular comedian slash actor that plays me in the Nishi fictional movie. We have like at the restaurant we have. <laughs> Who the, plays? Oh, please tell who us. Who plays? Who? Okay. Fred Armisen plays him. Yeah. Fred Armisen would be very good. And then Jul- Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld plays me. <laughs> wow, the character. Like an actual. Who, who is, who is writing the screenplay? Oh, you're not allowed to choose who plays you. Someone okay. else chooses for you. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. Right. And it's always evolving as people leave and. and oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when yeah. I worked at Co, we had the Co movie as well. And the, well, I always say the Nishi movie is just a spin-off of the Coe movie, does, does which hasn't been it's made. Like, does David Frazier. participate in this movie? No. no. I don't know if, does he know about it? I don't know if he knows about it. He I thinks that I look like Fred Armisen, though. He will be given the director credit when the movie comes out. Executive producer. <laughs> yeah, yeah executive just producer. the major, major for sure. media. <laughs> I like that, yeah. for sure. All right, so really, none of you are, are hangover I, food people. I mean, bacon, egg, and cheese. It's probably a bacon, fried egg, and foods. cheese. I would, yeah, I'd say like a fried chicken sandwich if I like. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. So everybody has their regional differences. We were just at Hobes uh, Ham Company, I guess. In, Hobes Country in, Ham. Yeah, in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, and they don't smoke anything. So they don't make bacon. They can't make sausages that are smoked. So they have all the, they're limited in a way by their regional traditions that go back hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's just interesting to think about like a ham factory not having a smokehouse because it violates a terroir kind of terroir thing. So uh, in that vein, name an American city on the rise for food and an American city on the decline for food. We were saying New York's on the decline. Everyone says it. That was my answer uh, last time we had this question. Yeah. I mean, on the rise, I don't know, Providence, I mean, maybe I'm biased because I'm from there, but I haven't lived there in a long time and I don't really plan on living there again. But I think when I go back, I'm always really surprised about, like, how great all these restaurants that are opening there are. That's a great sign to go back to somewhere that you're from that you don't intend to move back to and be like, yeah, they know what's up. And I'm like, I don't have enough time to go and eat everywhere that I want to. Is San Francisco, Oakland on the down? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think um, I think L.A. is kind of exciting. Yeah. Because yeah. we can get some really good food in L.A. And, um, uh, and, and What's happening some, there? Why is one up and I one down? I don't know. I think... Um, the new, it's too expensive, San Francisco. It's losing. You know, so we've been doing this for a long time, and I've worked with a lot of chefs and all that. And there's a... Um, there's something that happens around camaraderie and community of good chefs. <clears throat> and um, celebrity is kind of a, a vice. You know, it's an inhibitor inhibitor of good food, I think. Mm. Sometimes really serious. And communities where there are, you know, several chefs who come up together and they have relationships and they talk and they're really focused and they're really into it, they can generate some some really good food, and um, I'm out peddling <clears throat> whole grain, which we'll talk about soon. Mm-hmm. Do you think? And, uh, and I, I think I, I think there's like a community of, of serious people in LA who really like each other and who really um, they're, 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 they talk. You know. Do you think that the whole tech boom and everything in San Francisco is really like added to the decline, just because of? How expensive it is to like. Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think losing you know, some of its charm, maybe. Yeah, like you, like this uh, to actually get a space like real estate. I think is like more expensive in San Francisco than it is in New York. It's really except for a while yeah, it looked like Seattle so was low. for That's a funny. while it looked like Seattle was interesting, and that was part of it where you could <clears throat> get into a restaurant inexpensively in Portland. Yeah, Portland was Portland's certainly happening. Portland, I don't know what's going on now. Well, you're Fred Armisen yeah, in Portland. No, he yeah. Yeah. I lived there for like a little bit, but I, it's my favorite place, like one of my favorite places in the world. I love Portland, Oregon. There's no dead zones between the neighborhoods. You're just driving through lovely neighborhoods, and then all of a sudden there'll be cafes, and then you'll be driving through beautiful neighborhoods, and then there's cafes again, and there's yeah, just never a part where I'd be like, oh, this city's depressing. Yeah. So there's no grunge. In I mean, it's Portland? very suburban feeling. It's still right? cool, suburban. Yeah, yeah, beautiful older homes. People out with their yards. There's gardens. There's a kind of conscious uh, coalition, or you know, energy there that is uniting those people. Yeah, I love it. And the food is fantastic. Yeah, lots of great restaurants, and it's still like relatively affordable. I think to you know work there. And but yeah, I think in New York, like you were saying about San Francisco, is like all the cost of doing business. It makes like. Rest, like restaurant owners, chefs, like they're 
don't take as many risks or like people aren't giving money to those chefs to like open their like passion project because there's just too many also maybe costs. it takes a lot more money to keep you open for a short amount of time yeah. you know you don't have as long of a lifespan to to make your money back and to and to prove your success well i always say new york uh, literally 30 percent of the restaurants need to close they will. I mean, I pray they do soon, and I pray the good teams like yours and and you know Danny Myers is open more uh, because you know all, first of all those shitty restaurants that are low quality must be serving so much commodity food, especially meat. I mean, and then they're just too many, and people go to new restaurants versus the old stalwarts, and 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 or they uh, and as a result are not able to recognize a perfect cacho and pepe. Well, it goes when back it to the perfect. innovation versus classic, you know, yeah. our first question. And I think, you know, who who sticks out and stand and, and stays around and which ones are the classics that end up closing when they shouldn't. And yeah. my mom says there's a lot of rights, but there's also there's a lot of way to do right. But there's also wrong. And when wrong restaurants that are just not good. I mean, Cesare does the Good Food Awards and judges the charcuterie. And he's like, I love all those people. Like you tasted 300 salamis. How many were good? And he's like two. Yeah. You know, it's just it's a shocking. different, it's very shocking. Yeah. And it's not to say that they don't have the potential or, you know, I'm like, no. give the advice, t- help these guys. Cause and all those people will be uh, beloved. You know, they all have followings, you know, they're yeah. so cool and all that. And you go yeah. like, well, this is kind of salty and yeah. like, you know, you don't really know what you're doing. And well, you know, I feel bad. Cause I mean, like if I went to Nishi and had a bad dish, I would probably, my friendship and appreciation and respect would be like, one dish didn't work for me and it's just me yeah. versus being like, I loved it. Oh my God. You're yeah, such a genius. Yeah. That's what happens. It's like, Oh, this is so cool. It's so, uh, yeah. this is so cool here. I'm here. This is so great. I'm yeah. I mean, I think too, it's like cats need to, instead of going on Yelp and writing a review, just like give us your feedback in the moment. You know, uh-huh. if like, I like appreciate people trying things that are maybe outside of their wheelhouse and if they don't like it, I would happily like take it off the check and be like, hey, you know, thank you for going out on a limb and trying something. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, just if you didn't like it, like tell us what well, didn't work about it. Or like maybe you just wanted to try it when you, but like, you never had it before. Like, and if you didn't really eat it, then we'd take it off. But that don't go or on. Or just constructive they, feedback. They, or just like, don't, yeah, they, don't go on Yelp and write about I mean, it. Well, that was the New York Times article, too. Pete Wells wrote about that. How yeah. to comment. How to critique. How to yeah. compl- Well, I mean, the, there's yeah. a problem in that people don't know. They don't know. Yeah. And there needs to be some leadership. I think that's part of the decline of food in San Francisco, actually, is there's not been any real leadership. You know, we mm-hmm. haven't had serious food press for a long time. And so mm-hmm. people kind of bump around. But well, I think the, the food press, the, the restaurant reviews <laughs> in the Times and the Chronicle should be done every single week by the same five people. So five people each get yeah. a, a quarter of a page. So you're dealing with five new restaurants a week instead of one, which basically means you're doing 52, and they take two weeks off. So you only get 50 restaurants a year in the Times ever get talked about. Well, how many restaurants are there in New York? Two trillion, and you, you're doing 52? It's not enough. And also, I don't want just Pete Wells' opinion. I have nothing against it. I just have against that he's the one guy for 10 years well, who I least, have to read his opinion. At least they switch him out. You know, he's not going to be there for 30 years, which I is what happens in oh. San Francisco. Well, your, your Chronicle new critic is very young. I think what were you going to say? The, Finally, the they got rid of that guy. I mean, the guy everything. was just a moron. Oh, it's too much. That whole era of one white dude telling everybody what's right yeah. is just I, not yeah, correct. I like P. Wells, but yeah, um, I, I do kind of like what Jonathan Gold did in LA for yeah, the, they did the, the list. So yeah. every year, all of these restaurants are evaluated. And I mean, what number they're at, like, I guess you could say that's like arbitrary, but just to see all of like the great restaurants in one place is yeah, kind of yeah. cool. Nick Larder in London, I don't know if he still writes, but he, he was a critic in London for the Financial Times. Mm. And his criticisms great were paper. great. They were a paragraph. Yeah, you're right. you know, and, they, and, and it was like, that's what it was. Okay, done. We should play the rat tattooey critique. That was the best critique at the end when the critique. He's like, I realized it was a rat, but he still wrote like the best review of all time. <laughs> all right, let's go to break and we'll come back uh, with interview questions yeah. for our panel. Stick around, we'll be right back.
This episode is brought to you by New York Mutual Trading, the premier Japanese food, alcoholic beverage, and restaurant supply specialist. Mutual Trading is the Japanese food authority, true to the heart in upholding genuine Japanese food traditions, and progressive in exploring new ways to provide innovative restaurant supplies and services. They import, export, distribute, and manufacture the top brands for retailer and food service customers nationwide. Learn more at nymtc.com. Hey there, seems like you like podcasts. My name is Eli Sussman. I'm a chef and restaurant owner, and I've got a great podcast right here on Heritage Radio Network called The Line. On my show, I interview chefs and restaurateurs about the trajectory of their career. It's a one-on-one conversation where we talk about where it all started to where they are cooking now and everything in between. You can find The Line everywhere you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Welcome back to the main course OG. We are broadcasting live on Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you were uh, with us before, we are in studio with uh, Nick Timborough and Emma Conroy from Momofuku Nishi and Bob Klein from Oliveto and Community Grains. Anyway, so we are going to jump right in for some questions. So The Weekly Grill. The Weekly Grill. Nishi was a little bit of an outlier in the Momofuku group when it opened with a Korean-Italian focus. Would you say it's still an outlier in the group? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, we were sort of the last Momofuku to open before uh, Vegas and and, and Major Domo, which were, like, much bigger projects. So I think in the vein of, like, what Momofuku used to be, not that it's like good or bad, but what it is now. I think it, you know, obviously we're a growing company and it's expanding, and you know we have different people who are involved in the company. Uh, so we were like that, like small, the last like small place to open, and also that we were Italian <laughs> um, definitely makes us an outlier. And I think we still are. I think we just, you know, like any restaurant is sort of like a kid. Like it takes a little bit to find your identity. Uh, Nick, have you found the the food identity? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the restaurant's gone through a lot of t- changes, you know, physical changes. They did a renovation like a year and a half ago yeah. or so. And then Josh Pinsky is the opening chef, and um, he was there for like two years or a little bit less maybe. And then um, him and I worked together at Co., and then I've been there a little bit over a year now. And I think, yeah, we're at a place now where we kind of found like – what's comfortable for us and we feel confident in the food that we make and yeah to me like there's always like more room to grow like I'm never really content with the way that things are and you know I want to keep uh you know like pushing to to keep changing yeah I think uh it was a little bit of a heady concept and then you know just identifying as an Italian gave people like an understanding of what we do like we're not Italian we're not trying to be like a red sauce sort of place it's just like we pull inspiration but it was really important to us that we still fit into like the world of what people expect from Momofuku it is hard with people's expectations because if people they know that we're Italian they expect Italian food and people that know that we're Momofuku they expect some kind of like Asian cuisine so there there are a lot of people that come in and I think what they get is is different when what they're expecting. Like, the amount of people that we have come in and think that we make sushi is, like, <laughs> so many. It's weird. Well, we tried to order sake. I was like, Emily, take that off. The, the, we can mention it, but don't write it in the outline. We ordered sake. I had it as a thinking, note to share with you guys. Neither one of you were in that night, and Patrick was like, I think we'll start with sake. Well, and we just wanted a magnum of something, and I know you guys always have, and they're like, you don't really want that. I was like, can I see the wine list, please? No problem. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, my God, the Italian wine list. He was like, I'm in. I can navigate this much better. Yeah. Um, Nick, we read you lived in Belgium for a while. Are they doing anything in the restaurant and food scene that was super inspirational for you? Or is it more you? neutral over there? Um, well, that was... That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, years ago at this point. Um, and I mean, it's hard to say for the country as a whole. I mean, it's a super tiny country. But Where were you in Brussels? No, I was in the middle of nowhere, uh, like just north of the French border. Wow. Um, in a town called Drenuder. Um So, yeah, so I didn't really have that, like, being able to see, like, oh, there's like these restaurants, like, this is what everyone's doing. We were kind of like out there, like, on our own. Um, 
So I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of people doing super interesting things, but I think it kind of speaks to like Europe as a whole. Just like the, I feel like the dining customs and traditions there are so much different than in the U.S. People are so much more like open-minded and willing to take risks and put their trust in like the restaurant or the chef and just let them do what they want. And in the United States, it's not like it's not really a thing. People like to make modifications and say, I know what I like. Well, yeah. Bob, how are you with that? Because you've had uh, Paul Bertoli, Paul Canales, Jonah Rodemail. I always say Rodheimer. Rodheimer. So, I mean, oh, Paul Bertoli, of course, is a nat- he's on the Mount Rushmore of something. How do you, being the owner, control while also letting your chef be? Control. That's an interesting word. Because you must um, have a vision, and there must have been things that are yeah, traditions. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's all built out of some general idea about Italian, and Italian is pretty loose, you know. And originally, Maggie's idea when she when we opened the restaurant, it was she had written a book about olive oil, mm. and um, so the original idea of the restaurant was sort of olive oil based food, which is Italian and some Spanish and Southern um, France, and it's kind of you know it, it got pretty Italian and. Mm-hmm. When we first started with Paul Bertoli, he was sort of like, well, we can't really do Italian food because, you know, we're California. And then, um, and then finally, um, he, he kind of got it, you know. And, and, that Italian food can be anywhere just as long as you use the local produce and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and I think we're basically Italian. But I wonder, like, I'll go to a, a real Italian restaurant that I like, you know, and I'm like, well, we should be more Italian, you know. And I like red tablecloth restaurants where they don't even show you a menu because it's too heavy to carry, and they they whatever <laughs> you want. Would, yeah. uh, is that a, a move in the chef community where you're like almost like Kenny Shopson was, where you just have 2,500 ingredients and you go to the table and they're like, I want like a uh, an eggplant with some uh, rice in there. Maybe ground up some lamb and put it in there and bake it for really good. And you're like, I got you. We can That'd do this. That would be very impressive for someone to be able to pull that off, I think. It's red tablecloth. I mean, you need yeah. a high volume of people coming through it. But I've always yeah. been my dream restaurant to just have the highest ingredients, which Italian red tablecloths don't always have, but be able to get whatever the fuck I want. Well, we, no how we outrageous. Went, we went to a cafe. It's not a red tablecloth, but we went to Le Bon Bonnery. Which is mm-hmm. like a diner in the West Village, and the menu literally has like everything, everything you could like. To where you don't even open it, you just say, no, there's I'll just, have. If you, you have whatever. Yeah. They have a jam omelet. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, many, how many items is the Shopsons menu? It's, it's like, have you been to Shopsons? I, I haven't been. I used to have a friend that worked there. Have you uh, seen the menu online? I have seen yeah, the menu. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. There's 400 items on it. I think it. it's more than that. It's like oh, Cheesecake more. Factory I think, it's almost, I think you're right. I think it's almost 1,000. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I know it's thousands of ingredients, small amounts of everything, and he capitalizes certain products. Like if he gets lamb in, then <laughs> there will be 12 lambs capped. So, you know, yeah. he can move people a little bit in that direction, but yeah, it's crazy. So well, cool. he passed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and now his kids are uh, running the place. Well, Emma, uh, before we get to Bob, I wanted to ask about uh, how do you select wines for Mamafuku? And, uh, you know, how do you make an interesting wine list in this day and age where so many people have great wine lists? Well, I mean, I'm not the beverage manager at Nishi, but I've definitely been involved in the beverage program a lot Mm -hmm. uh, there. And we, I think, to help with the identity of the restaurant, have a very Italian-heavy and focused list now. Um, But I think what we really focus on is like younger producer or like lesser known varietals from Italy because Italy is just so diverse from like North to South about like the styles of wine and, you know, varietals. So like finding those, those people who are young and like championing their wines and, you know, them using maybe forgotten about grapes makes it more interesting for us and also helps to really like showcase people who are like doing things that, are new and interesting because that's sort of how we feel about what we're doing. Like we're young, we're starting out, we're like really trying to make this restaurant successful and, you know, giving, supporting people who are doing something similar, I think is important to Mm -hmm. us. And I think that's, that's a fun thing to do. And, you know, you can have those classics like Ravenel or Dovisat or, Mm -hmm. you know, DRC that everyone, yeah, like, you know, exactly. But, you know, what about the people who are doing things that are interesting? Like we have some of that on the list, obviously Mm -hmm. like those classics, but 
yeah, I think we like to, you know, open open everyone's eyes, especially, like, younger people who are, like, getting into wine. Like, like hey, check this out. Like, do you know anything about Sicily? <laughs> so, uh, and now as the GM cap, imagine that I'm walking by and you're like, Patrick, step in for me at GM right here for the next hour. You have to cover me. There's We're undermanned. <laughs> What would be the two, three pieces of advice that you would give me to run the place? I have no experience whatsoever. Um, I would say treat everybody like uh, like a human being. Like don't like that's the thing. The thing about hospitality is that there's all these rules in a restaurant about like what you do and like you know the guest is always right and blah 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 blah. But you know I think the most genuine thing you can do is be like a human being to another person and say like you know I'm so sorry that we don't have your table yet, but you know, we're going to do our best to get you seated as soon as possible. Can we get you a drink in the meantime? We'll make sure to have bread on your table. Like, just treating people like like, like there are other people. Yeah, like how you'd want to be treated. So you want me to tell them that we don't have a table for them, even though the restaurant might be completely empty. <laughs> well, You're really yeah. setting me up to fail here. I know. Yeah, and I'd say, um, you know, I it's, uh, yeah, just be genuine. I be guess. genuine. No, that's great. Um, well, we always have not enough time, uh, but Bob, tell us about Community Grains and how you got started. And we're fascinated by mills. If you could speak a little bit about the mill you use. Yeah. So <clears throat> just, you know, going back to Mount Rushmore, actually, um, the, um, I'll, I'll remember that, Patrick. Um, so the restaurants, the DNA of the, of the restaurants always been getting into things, you know, that we are, we like to innovate, but we innovate by finding depth in what we're doing. And we've had just amazing discoveries with that, you know, getting into farm relations and all that. And so grain was the next thing. And so it was about 12 years ago, and I knew nothing about wheat. I don't know even if I'd ever seen wheat grow. And um, started bringing wheat in from Italy and grew it out, and I'd see it grow and got excited. And then it was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this? And then I found a mill that was novel that... um, was true whole grain and made some incredible flour. Are those two big rocks that, that that's been no, over this each is, other? So this is uh, so to get to your question. So the the mill that we use is it's called an AC, uh, ACM is an air classifier mill, and um, it's a it's an impact mill and it has a number of advantages to stone mill, and it has advantages to roller mill, which is whatever all the flour is, and so. Um, it's 100% of the grain comes out. So what goes in goes out. That's it. And then um, this mill will give us very consistent granulation size. And it'll give us, um, and we can get very fine granulation out of it. Mm-hmm. So that's an advantage. And then we discovered um, kind of late on through, a, there was a German publication about a mill like this. And in Germany, um, the the impact mill fractures the endosperm, fractures the starch, and so it'll take more water. So bread takes a lot of hydration, you know, 100, 105%, and it'll hold it. And um, in Germany, that's called activated starch. In America, it's called damaged starch. So we are against damaged starch for active, activated starch. And so... Um, the flour is really amazing, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know one major innovation. And the other thing was just sort of discovering. We started um, originally. We had a brand. We had a pasta. We we're using commodity wheat, and wanted to have organic and local was you know an issue. Though it's always escaped me why. And um, we started growing wheat. We had local farmers who were like really good farmers who had good soil and. They started giving us wheat, and then we'd send it to, we have a really good baker named Josie. We have a lot of good bakers in, in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So Josie, we'd send Josie Baker some of this flour, and he'd go, wow, that is great, you know. You know do you have anything else? And, and, um, and, and why is this so good? And it just became clear that it had to be the quality of the soil, that organic flour, for the most part, is grown on poor quality soil with organic inputs. And when you grow wheat on good soil, you get better wheat in flavor and in functionality. Is wheat traditionally a poor soil, uh, yeah. like wine, grapes, are yeah. usually on tough soil? Yeah. And um, I'm mean, going way back. I mean, you know, the whole idea of, of, of soil development is 
you know, fairly new. You know, mm -hmm. Rome conquered lots of territories because they burnt through a lot of land. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know the you know when the tradition of, of good quality soil, but certainly in California, California soil was kind of the same way. We, you know, there's a lot of areas where it's like really good soil, and then it becomes depleted over time. And then 20, 30 years ago, these farmers are starting to put stuff back in. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then a lot of good food came out of it. So why would this pizza taste better? If Roberta's made us a pizza with this, or if you made a loaf of bread, why, what are the taste characteristics? Well, uh, um, so that's, that flower is called Patwin. It's a variety that was uh, developed by UC. <clears throat> and we'll have different wheats, and we'll, do out, we'll send out tastings. And um, People think it tastes cleaner, uh, well, they, they, fruitier, moist. Yeah, there'll be there'll be um, well all the, all this flour makes really moist bread because of the because of the milling, and um, and then there are different flavor characters. I think a lot of it is just sort of like the shock of working with flour that is different. Mm. That you know, like flour is you know good flour traditionally is um, you want the, the you want it to be the same. You want to make your grandma's cake just like it and you want to open the bag of flour and you want it to be the same and so when we we knew that wheat was different when it was coming off the field and we thought well what are we going to do about this and uh, you know we thought well maybe we'll have to blend like everybody else mm. and then we started getting different wheats and we'd send it out and then somebody would say wow that's great do you have anything else and so mm. all of a sudden it becomes diversity of wheat which was a negative suddenly becomes a positive so we have a um, a wheat that was grown out by full belly mm -hmm. and um called Fra, uh, Frasinetto, so it was hybridized in Spain mm -hmm. in uh, 1915. And he grew it out, and it was really great, and then he grew it the second year, and it just sucked. And, and, and he thought, oh, what am I going to do? You know, I'll feed it to chickens and all that. We said, no, we'll mill it up. And, um, and we sent it out to a bunch of people, and everybody said, oh, yeah, this sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we sent it to one woman in L.A., Francine, uh, Francis Olive, and she did um, a Belgian preferment called it's a cold weather preferment, made a sensational bread. So flour, wheat, which is undifferentiated in any way, they have no characteristic, there's no expectation of it. Well, suddenly it becomes a real thing. It becomes like a, a, a culinary future. Very cool, very cool. How do people buy the community grain? Eat at Oliveto for sure. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a part of San Francisco culture. But how so, do people buy the grains uh, online? You can get it online. We have a really good bread which you'll be tasting later on, and okay. and, um, and we think that's going to be retail. Fantastic. And, um, and then we have pasta in Northern California. What's it called? Community grains. Okay. And then we're in some stores called the Fresh Market on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Roche Brothers in Boston area. Fantastic. And Nishi, any new menu items or anything? I mean, is there a? It's always a reason to go. But anything, events or um, things in the we're, future? We're, we're, we're working we on some, some stuff. things in the works. Okay. Hopefully, uh, we have a, a wine event. Maybe, maybe some guest chefs. Maybe I don't know. You so guys we'll, are doing fascinating stuff <laughs> we'll there. I mean, every time we sure. go, I went with Cesare and me recently, like three different times, and it's just. Oh, with you, oh, Zach Allen, yeah. Zach Allen, it's great. And you guys do lunch also, which is mm -hmm. fun, and uh, lots of different, a couple of different did. sandwiches. We, yeah, we did start fried chicken at brunch. Fried oh. chicken at brunch. There's a limited for your hangover amount. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you have the trade in in the windows still. And oh, and we made our own version of blackened ranch, so you can. Oh, try oh our wow! Now there's a reason. Uh, All right, that now wood, there's a reason. We'll stop at Popeyes. That's a Popeyes. Yeah. It's a Popeyes event oh, yeah. coming. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. There's, yeah, we'll do a you moment. You guys sent us a spoon. There's your homemade Popeyes. versus oh. commodity. A plume two years yeah. ago, yeah. and Let's a go. trade in three uh, years ago. Yeah, and we had the other the plume the plume over the kitchen door. <laughs> yeah, and then they... a plume is a spoon and a ladle. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then it was above the kitchen door, and then they would they have to mop the dining room, and they like 
would hit the uh, plume and it fell off and broke. So now there's a trident that well, I found is it outside. Still up there? It's like Excalibur. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll accept with the trident replacement being there. Well, yeah. we'll send another one. Yeah, we can do that too. Thanks, well, guys. thank you guys so much for being with the us. And Olivetto, um, Community Grains, Momofuku Nishi. And uh, we'll see you guys next week and stick around for Tech Bites at 11. Thank you. Thanks. 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 So this is great. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.